0: here uh, we teach the Bible pretty much one book at a time uh, trying to take take the Bible you know uh, as it's as it's spoken and as it said as the living Word of God I think there are two things that are really uh, unique to us and that link us with about uh, seven other churches in town and that is the supremacy of Jesus Christ and the authority of God's Word and so here at Summit, we teach the Bible one book at a time. I think next we'll go into First and Second Peter. It, it will deal more with some of the issues we're facing today. But James, how have you liked James? Good good book, practical, huh? Awesome. God speaking to you all. Hallelujah. That's right. So today we're starting with verse 11. We're working through verse 17. E- each week I state a personal goal because I need you to know that as your pastor, I am no way perfect, but that there's constantly work to be done in my life just as in your life. I stand here as a broken vessel, a mouthpiece, hoping that God will use me somehow to speak truth into lives, okay? So that's the way it works. My personal goal is to take all of my plans, all of my goals, all of my hopes, and all of my dreams and surrender them to the reality that God knows my future and he has a plan for me. Yeah. We are in the midst of a major section of the book of James that takes us from chapter 3 verse 13 to chapter 5 verse 6 and if I were to sum it up, I would sum it up this way real faith produces genuine humility Jesus Christ is the perfect example of this for the sake of you and me he stepped off of his perfect throne stepped out of his perfect kingdom came into our broken world and humbled himself to the point of becoming a servant. And when I say a servant, I'm talking about a slave. I'm talking about one who has been sold into slavery, deprived of any rights, any position, any possessions. He did all this for you and me, and lived a perfect life in order that he might become the sacrificial lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. And out of his perfectness... He went to the cross, taking your sin and my sin upon himself, carrying them to the grave, conquering sin once and for all, and then rising again to verify that he alone is the one who can do that. Can we give him glory for that? Yeah, you better do that. He's the absolute model of humility for anyone who who will look to him. And while in culture we're trying to justify sin and affirm sin, uh, people will ultimately be disappointed and realize they need something greater. And there stands Jesus. Hopefully, there stands in the church, ready to embrace them, extend them the grace of the cross. But he's the model of humility for us to follow. If you go over to Philippians chapter two, verse five, we see there that we are to have the same mindset or the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. And if you look at what that mindset is, if you keep reading, you'll see it. But I just want to back up to verse 3 in Philippians 2, where it tells us, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, looking not to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So here we are in James, and James is going to take this business of humility a, a step further as he's going to challenge us in two arenas, both of these arenas are rooted in a reality that you and I have a tendency to try to play God with our lives, and those two arenas are these, and then we'll walk through them. Number one, how we view people, and number two, how we view ourselves. I heard a story a long time ago about a pastor who was voted the most humble pastor in America. In fact, his congregation gave him a medal that stated just that, to the most humble pastor in America, but the next Sunday they had to take it away from him because he actually had the nerve to wear it. Yeah. So these two things are the opposite of humility. The first is how we play God in our view of others. So verse 11 of our text Brothers and sisters, I, n- I never give you the primary text. My hope is that you'll bring your Bibles with you and read through this with me. And I don't care what translation you have. I just need you to see it for yourself and, and circle things. But brothers and sisters, do not slander. Th- that, that word slander is to speak evil of. It's the word kataleo, the Greek word kataleo. Now watch this. Brothers and s- sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against, guess what? Exact same word, kazaleo. Second time it's used here, right? Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against, a third time right there, by speaking against one another, what are we doing? We're speaking against God's law and judging it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver, notice it's capitalized, And one judge, notice again it's capitalized, the one who is able to save and destroy, but you, who are you to judge your neighbor? All right, so we have this business of slander, to speak evil of or or to judge. Katsutalea, seen three times right here. And this is about saying mean things about somebody else to a third party. An honest assessment of this would, would unfold the reality that we do this to make ourselves look better by making somebody else look worse or to try to defend ourselves at somebody else's expense. And we justify it with statements like this. I really like so-and-so, but. I... Stop me if I'm wrong, but. I don't mean to be critical, but. And what I want to suggest to you is we need to kick the big butt out of here. Because the big butt is the big disqualifier. It negates everything that has been said up to that point. It cancels it out and renders it useless. The Bible's really clear when it talks about how we're to treat one another in judging. Jesus said this, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I want to keep going with this because we need to hear it. I need to hear it. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? you hypocrite first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye all right so you hear this and you say so pastor mike does this mean there can be no accountability no that's not what this is saying as as families as a church there are times that we have to make judgments for the good and for the protection of all of us and if you want to check it out you can check it out in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 12 through 13. James is not suggesting that we be gullible or permissive, letting everybody do whatever they want, but there's a difference between confronting, for this, confronting in love for the sake of rescuing and building up and condemning for the purpose of tearing down. Both of those are types of judgments. One is pro and one is con. And so now we have our Supreme Court that made a civil decision this week that goes against biblical law, civil law going against biblical law. What are you going to do? Are you going to panic? Are you going to be in fear? Or are you going to trust that God is sovereign and ultimately God's law trumps civil law? We have to make a judgment. We have to make a decision on these things where we're going to stand. What we don't want to do is judge people for where they are, right? But love them because ultimately any pursuit of the flesh will disappoint, it will frustrate, and the darker it gets, remember, the brighter light shines. So we need to be there to extend love to those who are desperate and seeking answers in different ways. So you hear the trembling in my voice right there? Okay, it's hard to say these things, but here I stand. I have no idea what it means in the future, and I have concerns. We're going to talk about it when we get to Peter, because I have six things, six prophecies that are going to unfold before Christmas of next year, and uh, this being one of them, because we are literally in the last days. The problem that James is addressing here is, is a type of judging, as I said, that comes very close to us Trying to play God. Verse 12, there is only one lawgiver, so who are you to judge your, your, your name? Lawgiver. It's a term that appears just seven times in the entire Bible. It appears six times in the Old Testament, one time in the New Testament, right here where we are working today. I highlighted that it's all in caps because it only applies to the one who alone can save and destroy. It's a cross reference to Deuteronomy 32. Verse 39, where ultimately God has the power and authority to give life and to take life away. So how about this? How about we let God do the judging? For us to judge one another, it's wrong. Slander and speaking evil of one another is judging. And as I said, this kind of attitude, this kind of outlook comes painfully close to us somehow thinking we are God sitting on his throne but here's another piece besides everything that we've mentioned so far the lawgiver god alone is the only one who is consistent in being merciful giving mercy two weeks back we learned looked at uh james chapter 4 verse 6 and we saw there that while we're kicking and screaming and fighting and cheating what is god doing he giveth more grace He's pouring out grace. Is anyone glad this morning that God shows us kindness despite ourselves? Anybody at all? Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Is anybody glad that God is willing to make us alive in Jesus Christ even while we're dead in our sins? Is anybody glad for that? Yeah, I'm glad for that. Yeah. Yeah. It's by his grace that we are who we are and what we are and what we are becoming. So the idea is this. How about we let the one who gives grace continually also be the one that does the judging? (laughs) Okay, so I want you to do this. I want you to turn to somebody next to you and say this. I trust God to judge me a whole lot more than I trust you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) In in youth ministry, we have the law of two fences. I was a youth pastor most of my ministry. God's fence is a broad fence, and, and as parents, we try to define that fence, so our fence tends to look a little tighter than God's does. Now, our parents' fence might look something like this, and since we don't like their fence we make our own fence. <laughs> it's still a fence, but it's a fence nonetheless, <clears throat> and it's all about protecting and caring for people that, that we, we love. <clears throat> Lawgiver, <clears throat> compound word. Now, I need to clarify the word law because it's the same law that James has repeated continuously throughout our study of the book of James. In James 1.25, it's the perfect law it's the law of liberty. In James chapter 2, verse 8, it's the royal law, which means it's the law that trumps all laws. It's the king of all laws. So what is that law? And we might say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. But there is no accountability in that. So what that golden rule becomes is if you really love God the way you say you do, then let's see it by the way you love others. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the whole law. That's the sum of it. So the application here is to think about what you say about others, put yourself in their shoes, and imagine how it would make you feel if you knew they were saying similar things about you. Verse 12, you there, who are you to judge your neighbor? Who do you think you are? Who made you judge? So instead of pretending to be God, let's let him be God, unless I us do the judging, okay? There you go. You have that point? Get it? All right. Good deal. So the second way we tend to play God is in how we view ourselves. So now we get to the second part of our text today, verse 13. Now, listen. You who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow, what is your life? You are a myth that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such scheming is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. So what's happening here? This is the idea of believing that we have the final say in our lives. We don't care what anybody else has to say. It's my life. I'll do what I want. And, And there are even those of us here today who believe you're Christian. If you look at it deeper, it's probably rooted in a heritage that you have, a tradition that you have. The truth is you keep God in a back room of your life only to call on him when you're in a bind. So he's like your personal rescue, your personal genie, or something like this. What we don't want is we don't want him getting involved in the daily affairs of our lives. We definitely don't want to give him control. We definitely don't want to become some kind of religious zealots that get carried away with this whole God thing, because after all, I am the master of my own faith, the captain of my own soul. But that's not what it is, see? And then we come to verse 13, and at first glance, we see that and say, you know, hold on a minute. Wait, today or tomorrow, I'm going to go to this city or that. What's wrong with planning ahead? You know, there's nothing wrong with it. In fact, there's nothing wrong with doing business. There's nothing wrong with making money. These are examples that are used here. But do we ever stop and consider what God might be saying about all this and what his plans might be for our lives? If God is sovereign, if he's ruler of all Are we willing to adjust as he directs? Huh. So, what I see here are three potential sins, and I want to give them to you, and then we'll work through them quickly here, okay? The first one is the sin of presumption, the second is the sin of boasting. And the third is the sin of omission. So let's take a look at these things. First, the sin of presumption. Verse 13, now listen, you say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Well, here's the truth, okay? Under the sin of presumption, letter A, we have no idea what our future holds, okay? Verse 14, the first part, we have no clue how today's going to play out, let alone tomorrow But God does. And if he has that foresight, shouldn't we trust him? Shouldn't we surrender to him? Letter B, we have no assurance how long we're going to live. And and then he gives us this uh, amazing little triggering point, this device to help us remember that we have no assurance how long we're going to live. And what he says essentially is, hey, go outside on a cold night. Breathe the warm air from your body into the, the night sky. Did you see your breath? how long did it last not very long what what is that it's a picture of the brevity of life even if you outlive all your peers life is still very very short here for a moment and poof it's gone youth gets by us suddenly People in their 90s talk about things they did in their youth as if it were just yesterday. How did we get here? How did this happen? How did those pictures of me change? What happened? Life is short, and quickly, how quickly, our face clears up from acne, and suddenly our minds are fuzzy with memory loss. Yeah. How did we get here? Life is a vapor. Vapor. The, the third part of presumption is this. We have no business ignoring God's will. Verse 15, instead of boasting or scheming, I'm going to do this or that, we have better to say, if it's the Lord's will. That's the sin of presumption. Presuming upon God somehow as if we have ultimate authority. We don't. The second is the sin of boasting. Look at verse 16. As it is you boast in your arrogant schemes, all such boasting is evil the movie it's a wonderful life movie was way over budget didn't do well in the box office big failure. somehow the rights of the film were not secured so it ended up playing over tv stations everywhere became one of the most endearing of all uh, of our christmas films george bailey starts off being this overly confident young fellow he had no room For a humble mess of a life like his father's, he definitely had no room for a mess of a town like Bedford Falls. I know what I'm going to do tomorrow and the next day and the next year and the year after that. He said to Mary, who would one day be his wife, what is it you want, Mary? What do you want? You want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. Hey, that's a pretty good idea. I'll get you the moon, Mary. And Mary's response, I'll take it. Then what? He goes on and he says, well, then you can swallow it and it'll dissolve, see? And the moon booms, you shoot out of your fingers and your toes and the ends of your hair. Am I talking too much? And the voice of an old man on a porch comes through the dark sky. Yes! Why don't you shut up and kiss the girl? Ah, youth, it's wasted on all the wrong people, right? And up to this point, George had never once said, if it's the Lord's will, we will do this or that. But finally, after one downturn after another, George Bailey comes to the straw that breaks the camel's back. Through no fault of George's scandal, hits his life, it hits his his business, he's discouraged. He wants to take his own life. And finally, right at at that urgent point, he prays this prayer father in heaven i'm not a praying man but if if you're up there and and you can hear me and he starts to cry right here he says show me the way show me the way And, and we can assume what he's saying right there is show me your way George has an awakening at that moment, see, where once he was boasting about what he wanted and where he was going and what he was going to do, he's got a greater vision. And instead of bragging about exotic vacations to France and to, to England, he's, he, he boasts this way. He says, isn't it wonderful? I'm going to jail. <laughs> what just happened? Well, now he has a greater purpose. And it doesn't matter where he is, he can fulfill his purpose in life. The, the word boasting, uh, it's, it's a Greek word that paints images of this. Are you ready for this? A wandering quack. A snake oil salesman, right? The guy who, who stands in the corner with his cart bragging about all the amazing things that his product will do for you. When in reality, it's nothing more than sugar water. So, so here's, here's a Latin application for you, for you. Are you ready for it? Deo valente. Say it. Deo valente. God willing. Can you say that? God willing. Deo valente. God willing. Can we say it together? Deo valente. God willing. Yeah. Let that phrase grasp you. Not what I want, Lord, but what you want. If it's the Lord's will, we'll do this or that. Sin of presumption, sin of boasting, and now we come to the sin of omission. Think about sin. Think about what you typically think of when you think of sin. Typically, we think of it as being doing the wrong thing or doing a series of of wrong things. But there are actually two general categories of, of sin. One is the sin of commission, things we commit, wrong actions, but there's also the sin of omission, which is not doing the right things. James puts it in verse 17, anyone then who knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. The, the term sin in the past had been used by archers. Uh, to describe missing the target the sin mark was actually the distance between where the arrow hit the ground and and the bullseye itself so you and i whether we do wrong things or whether we fail to do the right things we all fall short what do we fall short of well we all fall short of the righteous standard what does that mean it means none of us qualifies to come into the presence of the holy. And so right there, people think, well, is God mean? No, here's the problem. God would not be holy if he were exposed to things unholy. Our unholiness would tarnish who he is. In fact, not only that, but God's holiness is a consuming fire, and he can't help who he is. And anything less than holy is like dry grass. And for us to come into his presence as unholy creatures would be for us to be, be consumed violently. And, and God doesn't want that for us. And what this all shows us is, is that we need a Savior in Jesus Christ because we fall short. Oh, And the reason life is messed up the way it is is because sin has separated us from God who alone is the source of all blessing. And rather than get discouraged and pointing our finger at God and saying, if there were a God in heaven, we'd be better to say, I need God in heaven. Because the way this is going, it's not working for me. And if we come to that point of brokenness, that's where God can begin his work. James 1.22 says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says, says, we've made the Christian life too much about don't do this, don't do that, but the greater understanding of it is there's something God wants to empower us to do. And you say, what is it he wants us to do? And that's the application, growing in the power and the capacity to love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor the way you need your neighbor to love you. I think too often we translate that that you have to love yourself first, and then you can love others. But I think we need to take ourselves out of the equation, recognize God loves us, thank God for who we are and who he's made us, and then say, you know, I need to be loved. So make me a vessel of that love, and it's in that that we begin to have a greater appreciation of who we are and what we are. So I want to bring this teaching home right now, and I want you to consider things. I talk about spiritual breathing, and this is the exhale part, okay? Exhaling your breath. This is confessing to God, agreeing with God about what he already knows, and let him just do a work in your life right now and consider these questions. Number one, have you been playing God? Have you been playing God in the way that you view other people? Is there someone that you know you have said mean things about? Few weeks ago, we heard an acronym: think T H I N K. I keep coming back to it. Thanks, Jamie, for bringing it in front of us. Think then speak. But here's the letters of the acronym and what they stand for. And in the things you say, ask yourself these questions: Is what I'm saying true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? And is it kind? Honestly. Could some of the things you've been saying be rooted in a need to make yourself look better, but in reality, you're making someone else look worse, or you're justifying yourself at someone else's expense? Are you playing God in your view of others? Secondly, have you been playing God in your view of yourself? Have you ever surrendered to the will of God, or are you just doing your own thing, honestly? Are you the captain of your own faith, the master of your own soul? What areas of your life do you tend to go at alone? What decisions have you made in the past that, that you didn't even consider God's will and you know you're paying the price for it now? Or what decisions are you in the midst of at this moment that you need to say, Lord, I need wisdom. I need to know what you want. Exhale, agree with God. And then inhale, receive Christ. Allow him to take control of that area of your life, appropriating the fullness of the Holy Spirit in your life. Just take a moment right now. Where are you? blessed where you are, no matter what. But right now, where have you been playing God? Where do you need to surrender? Maybe today you realize what Jesus did for you on the cross, and you need to put your faith in Christ, allowing Him to be your forgiver and your leader. Let the Spirit draw you now. Yeah. I'm going to invite our prayer partners to come, and And our worship team and our prayer partners are going to be available. If God prompts you any time between now and, and before you leave.